One, two, three, vamos! Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. It's season three, and we've got a great guest today. I'm joined by my co-host, Martha from Boston Red Cloaks. Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. Today, we are really excited to welcome Danielle Allen. Danielle is running for governor of Massachusetts. In addition to being a policy expert and nonprofit leader, over the last 20 years, she has led organizations at all scales, from local civic education providers to a global philanthropy. Policymaker, author, professor, Danielle cites education, justice, health, and democracy as core to her leadership. It is our great pleasure to welcome you, Danielle. Hello. Hello, Jesse. Martha, Karen, great to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, welcome, Danielle. Um, I'm going to tell you that you have been in my space today in an unusual way, or maybe not so, but I did have lunch today with a woman who is very enthusiastic about your candidacy. She was very, very excited that uh, we're doing this podcast. And coincidentally, I got a, a note from another woman who attended a couple of your conversations earlier in the year, and um, she can't wait to hear the, the podcast recording. So I thought I would pass that, Thank that you. on to you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank well, you. I, got, I didn't go to any of those conversations. So I'm just wondering, could you tell us, share with us, you know, so what were some of the highlights? What did you learn about the voices that you heard? I mean, it was an extraordinary experience. We ran something we called Commonwealth Conversations from January through June. We're still doing it, actually. We decided to continue it. And the goal was to hear, to listen to people around the Commonwealth, hear hopes and concerns. We started out with a session with folks in the Hilltowns. We did folks on the Cape, Lawrence Lowell, and then Lexington as well. I mean, we had extraordinary conversations. One of the things that really struck me was the discovery that housing really is the first challenge all over the Commonwealth. So I knew it was a challenge in the Boston area, but to hear people in Western Massachusetts talk about people living in the woods because of housing challenges or the lack of wages strong enough to support access to the housing that is there was really powerful. To hear people on Martha's Vineyard also say, you know, in the morning, I see working people leaving camps in the woods to go to work because there is not adequate affordable housing um, on Martha's Vineyard. Stories like this really emerged all over the Commonwealth. I wanna say though, at the same time, there were stories of innovation and power and commitment and courage. And that was so wonderful to hear. For example, it was just incredible to learn that in Holyoke, people are experimenting with alternative dispatch systems. So rather than having to send an armed police response to a mental health crisis, you could call a different number, you could get health services and a health response. In Lynn as well, people are working on exactly the same kind of thing in Brookline too. But in these different communities, folks didn't necessarily know that others were also building the courage to drive these innovations forward. So the chance to connect people across the Commonwealth was really inspiring. And that's what it's all about is that those connections, as we found in the three years of uh, being Red Cloaks and, uh, and, and doing these podcasts. Thank you. So we love talking to candidates for all offices, Daniel, but there are special powers in the role of governor. The person in that role has some unique ways to shape a statewide vision. Would you share with us two or three aspects of your vision for the Commonwealth? I'm happy to. Let me start by saying that above all, my belief is it's time for us to reimagine ourselves as one Commonwealth and to knit communities together across the Commonwealth by building public commitment 
to work hard on and invest in basic building blocks, housing, transportation, schools, good jobs, and justice. And we do have to work on those building blocks as a set and think about how they connect because that's how we'll transition to a renewable energy economy. And climate change is the looming threat that makes everything else so much worse. So that's the goal, that idea of being one commonwealth. Like Obama had said, one United States. Right, exactly. Not red, not blue, we're one United States. And here too in the commonwealth, I mean, for us, we have these real disparities of experience. The pandemic made them so powerfully plain to all of us. People like me in the knowledge sector, we got to roll up the drawbridge and telecommute and just start riding the pandemic out. Whereas for so many others, the bottom just fell out from under. And there was that contrast. We went in two weeks from being a state with one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country to being a state with one of the highest unemployment rates in the country. We are the only state that made that full swing and the impact of that experience of unemployment, the danger of losing housing. Luckily, we have had cities step up and extend the eviction moratorium, but the level of impact is just tremendous. So Chelsea is one of the municipalities in the country that had the highest rate of mortality from COVID. And we also have this difference in life expectancies where folks in New Bedford have a life expectancy of about 68 years, whereas people in Newton have a life expectancy of about 94 years. Not very far apart in terms of zip codes and yet such a difference in experience. That's what I think we need to move past. And so when I talk about building one commonwealth and knitting communities together by building commitment to work on, on those building blocks, it's about building the foundation that gets everybody health, access to health, health equity, building the foundation that connects everybody to a strong economy, delivers good jobs, connects people to opportunity and security. So that's the knitting together that we really need to do. Okay, uh, so also I would like to know if your key points of vision, have they changed or were they modified now with the pandemic that we're living on or is it that something that you thought was not important is now has this the importance that you desire to take care of? Thanks for that question, Martha. So I have been really worried about the health of our society and the health of our democracy for a very long time. And I've been working on that in various ways with justice reform, working on cannabis legalization, working on democracy reform. When the pandemic hit, I just saw the situation where some people, you know, me at Harvard with my university, the NBA, we were able to build bubbles for ourselves to protect ourselves. So many others were going without protection and without the resources they needed. So I jumped in, I did a huge amount of COVID response work. I drew on my 20 years of experience leading organizations to pull together a network of experts and practitioners, mayors and community advocates. And we put together the first national policy roadmap um, advocating for a real ramp up of public investment in testing and contact tracing. And we got policy into federal legislation and President Biden signed one of our policies into existence via executive order in his first couple of days. But while I did that work, so this is answering your question, Martha, I just kept staring at those stark disparities of impact and I know they've been building for a long time. We all know they've been building for a long time. But as I did the work, it just became ever clearer to me that this is the moment for transformation. But the second thing that became ever clearer to me is that the federal government alone can't do it. 
the things we need, the building blocks we have to work on depend on state government, all righty? So we need strategic, intentional, energetic leadership. We face very serious existential threats across the dimensions of climate, health, our split screen economy and democracy. And we can't address those just by sort of drifting along and kind of incrementally tinkering here and there. We have to be strategic and we have to be energetic. Exactly. We, the state governments have to do all the, the work, but main leadership has to set the standards. So I'm, uh, I think that was great for you to let us know. I appreciate that. And just to underscore that, though, I mean, I think one of the things we've been missing in our country is really effective partnership between the federal government and state governments. And that's what we really need to make possible again, because that's how we deliver real results that touch the very basics in people's lives. And I believe we have the potential in Massachusetts to set an example for what it means for state government, state leadership to partner effectively with federal government to solve those core human problems. Again, housing, transportation and traffic. Can, my, can I get my job and my life you know, close enough together to be, be livable and sustainable? Question of the quality of our schools, the question of good jobs, and then of course, the question of justice. We've seen that governors have a great deal of power. We see governors playing a huge role in advocating for or advocating against COVID restrictions. Uh, where do you think we fell uh, in Massachusetts when the, uh, the big boulder started its descent on us early in, in 2020? And how did what you saw give you the vision and the ingredients for the Suppressed COVID Act and the Roadmap to Resilience and the Rapid Response Network. How did that all happen in such a yeah. short time? No, thank you so much. That's a great question. So for starters, we do have a really incredible biotech sector here in Massachusetts. It's really a crown jewel and something we should be incredibly proud of. So there's just a depth of knowledge and expertise here. And that knowledge and expertise is also very well connected to the whole world. So we always have a global perspective and global context. And so very early on in the context of that network of, of knowledge and expertise, it was very clear that there were solutions, that the solutions depended on testing, being able to build out testing infrastructure and the like. And the real question was whether we could deliver the policy infrastructure to support that and make that possible. So that's where the network that I pulled together came in. We tried to really translate some of the core ideas coming out of scientific contexts um, into policy frameworks and articulate how we can make this work in the US context. So in that regard, um, you know, lots of learning from South Korea, learning from Germany, things like that, learnings from Taiwan to draw on. But then the question of, you know, could we make it real here? And it was very clear because of how the structure of public health works in the US, that what we would need would be really effective partnerships between state government and the federal government. And it was also very clear that if our government in Massachusetts was willing to partner ambitiously, we had the capacity here to build up testing infrastructure for the whole country. And we could not get Governor Baker to move on this in an ambitious way. As we tried to develop policy in Washington, everywhere we would go, people would say, well, this looks great. Now, if Governor Baker gets behind it, sure, then we can move it forward. 
And for the life of us, we could not get Governor Baker to put his full weight behind such an effort in those early days. And that was a critical thing motivating me in my frustration, recognizing how much more state government could be doing to partner with federal government. And the last thing I'll say there is that one of the things that's happened over the last 30 years is that coming out of conservative quarters, um, we've all sort of learned this lesson that what federalism is, is just about letting states do whatever they want, you know, sort of willy-nilly, leave states to their own devices. In fact, if you go back to the beginning, if you look back at the Federalist Papers and the accounts that people offered about the meaning of federalism, what they had to say about federalism was that its purpose was to achieve harmonization, to harmonize interests across the states in alignment with the national interest. It wasn't about willy-nilly just letting everybody do everything they wanted to do. It was about making sure that those things that needed to happen closest to the ground locally could happen locally. And those things that required shared joint action could happen at the national level and then harmonizing the relationship between those things. So all the work I've been doing is about learning again how to harmonize our efforts from the local level to the state level to the federal level. And again, we need a strong governor you know, president, Congress partnership in order to even just plain like relearn how to harmonize across those different levels. It's such a great point. You know, Martha and I were part of a volunteer group that responded in the early days of the pandemic by sewing masks. There were no masks that could be purchased. And between us and about 250 people we organized as volunteers, we made over 32,000 masks and distributed them. But there was no help to be found from the governor's office or even from the state legislature. It was yeah. really every tub on your own bottom. And you sat there thinking, where's what we learned from World War II and the kind of yep. like unify and, and harness all the energy that's out there. There was no leadership. Baker, if anything, was like swimming in the opposite direction. Lack exactly. of Exactly, 100%. And we have a, a good, strong contrast actually in California where they have a cabinet level, level position of a chief service officer Josh Friday is his name. And so when the pandemic hit, one of his jobs was precisely to support and coordinate those kinds of local citizenly energies that were delivering resources to elders who were you know, isolated and alone and didn't have what they needed. We're supporting mass provision. We're supporting other ways of delivering food to people who needed food when they had to isolate, when they were essential workers and the like. So a chief service officer in the cabinet, that's one of the elements of our democracy agenda that we would be planning to move forward. But the deeper point you're making, Jesse, is just so critical. There is a role for the governor, which is about governance in the sense of a coordinating function across the whole Commonwealth, supporting the proactive energies of people to solve the problems in their communities, helping people scale up that effort and energy to achieve Commonwealth-wide impact. This governor, not interested, just doesn't no, do that at all. Speaking on the role of governor in a, in a broad way and how powerful they are, we see with last week's announcement from Texas that they would implement their uh, six-week abortion ban, which is really an abortion ban, um, and then the Supreme Court leaving it stand, that what governors decide in one state really does impact everyone across the country. So interested in knowing what your reaction was, um, the Department of Justice filed suit yesterday, which is a step. What do you see when you look at Massachusetts where you think it was a contrast, but it took over two years to pass the Roe Act. Governor Baker never stood up for it, nor did he actually show any willingness even when the legislature and the people were for it. So it passed over his veto. 
what are your thoughts? And if you're elected, how would you respond around issues like reproductive justice and healthcare? Well, first, I just want to celebrate all of you. <laughs> Thank you. And all the other activists who did work so hard on the Roe Act, it really is super important. And the fact that you achieved that over the governor's veto is super important. I take it that it's a part of the work to be done. We do have health deserts in the Commonwealth where there is a lack of access to health services, including reproductive services, so both Western Mass and the Cape. And that is definitely a gap that we need to address. But beyond that, then there is the question of how we contribute to rebuilding support nationally for protection of reproductive right and access to health services. So in that regard, I think um, there was a great Boston Globe piece by Professor Lawrence Tribe earlier this week. I hope you saw it. That was really, I think, to the point of strategies for blocking the vigilantism that's being supported by the Texas law. It was good to see the Department of Justice uh, take those proactive steps. And I think the critical question is, what's the network of states that starts to form a kind of alliance to really work through a strategy of protection for basic rights? That kind of partnership and working with other governors seems really important right now when we're at a moment where, yeah, states' rights is, is made this comeback that is startling. How would you see yourself and what skills would you bring to networking and building these relationships with other states? Um, I am a team builder. That's basically the number one thing that I am. Um, and I believe that given the magnitude of the problems we face, they just are things that require many hands and many hearts and many heads. So that's how I do everything. That's how we did the COVID work. Um, building an interstate compact was a part of one of the uh, lanes that we really pursued um, aggressively in the COVID work. Um, so I do think, you know, for starters, collectively, we have to make the case that Democrats need to pay attention to state governments, that we really need to work hard to reclaim the governor's office, but not just in a kind of shallow, superficial way of, you know, how many heads can we count in coroner's offices or governor's mansions? It's also a question of what's the kind of shared strategy for an approach to the operation of our federal system that advances the progressive values and objectives that we're pursuing. At the same time that we do that, though, I think it is also important that we really register the need to build bigger coalitions to try to break out of the strict polarization here. And that's where I think it is important to name some of the issues that I believe can bring us together across partisan divides. So some of the challenges with housing do that, challenges with the opioid epidemic, and the question of the health and well-being of small businesses do that. That's another point where we actually have some really shared perspectives across the political divide. So I do think it's important to link up work we're doing to protect reproductive rights with work on some of those real cross-cutting um, issues. We would love to keep chatting with you and have you just continue the conversation if that's okay. This has been phenomenal introduction for people who are just getting to know you. And for those who've heard you before, it really adds some nuance and new information. So if that's okay, we'll have you back. Thank you so much. It would be great to come back. I would enjoy that. Before you head out, we would love to know how listeners can find out more. Please come visit our website, allen4ma.com. We would be delighted to have folks sign up as volunteers and get to know us. Fabulous. Fabulous. Thank you. Great to meet you. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 